Welcome to Doers, where ideas are cheap and doing is everything. At the end of the day, the world comes down to two different kinds of people. The people who do stuff and the people who watch others do stuff. This is where I get to interview those who do stuff. I'm your host, Zach Slayback, and every week I talk to different people, different entrepreneurs, investors, artists, thinkers, intellectuals, people doing interesting things, building the world in which you and I live and learn about what they're doing, how they got started doing what they're doing, and any advice they might have for somebody who's listening along and thinks, that sounds interesting, I'd like to live the life that that person is doing. So, welcome to the show, I hope you enjoy it, and let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Doers. This week, I am excited to have on Kylan Ginger. Uh, so if you need to find somebody who has an interesting first name, Kylan is probably the person to go to. I kept wanting to pronounce it as Kylan, uh, but that sounded like way too much, something that's out of Star Trek. But Kylan Ginger is a several-time entrepreneur. He is a podcast host. He's had uh, at least one exit from the five companies that he has started thus far. And he's not much older than most of the people listening, I think. Uh, Kylan is also a college dropout. The podcast he hosts has had a number of interesting guests. It's the Successful Dropout Podcast. And I say it has had interesting guests not only because I have been on it, so I'm just going to go out and throw that promotion out there. You can find an episode with uh, me on the Successful Dropout podcast. And the thing I really enjoy about each of my conversations with Kylan is that they're very sincere, they're very authentic, and uh, for me at least, it's a lot of red meat. Uh, we actually talked for well over an hour and a half, and it wasn't until we got about 20 minutes in that I realized that I hadn't even been recording the podcast. Uh, we just started talking about different interesting things uh, that ranged the entire gambit from obviously things like entrepreneurship and education, which ended up working their way into the final episode of the podcast anyway. Uh, we talked a little bit about like theology. So Kylan talks about, uh, at least in one of our recordings, <laughs> He talks about how he w dropped out of college to actually go work as a youth minister. And although his theological beliefs have changed significantly since then, uh, that was a big part of like what gave him the bias for action that he has today. Uh, so the topic we talked about related to that, I, I just want to give it a shout out because I think it's a really, really interesting topic, uh, regardless of one's actual own personal religious beliefs, is – uh, whether there is kind of this imperative on a Judeo-Christian framework to go out there and build an optimistic, uh, futuristic future, right? Uh, there's a phenomenal article by Peter Thiel called Against Edenism that one can find online that kind of makes this argument that I, I find pretty persuasive. Uh, but there's the opposite side of the table that I have found when speaking to People, especially those who are familiar with kind of like the rural depressed areas in uh, the old uh, Rust Belt or in Appalachia, that makes the argument that, well, yeah, but there's actually a huge passivity to it. And that passivity stems from, you know, why work hard to build this magnificent future when you're going to have heaven when you die anyway. So 
that's a that's a totally unrelated tangent to the podcast uh, in total, but really something interesting that I, I think is worth contemplating about from that perspective. So we, we talked for a good 25 minutes before we actually ended up recording the whole podcast. So please do enjoy. You can find Kylan's podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud as the Successful Dropout Podcast. And go find uh, – he's still releasing episodes constantly, so I recommend you go find some of those. So enjoy. Man, okay. Well, so background – uh, Kylan and I just spoke for like 20 minutes without any, uh, recording on his side because I am, uh, I, I have no idea why. So, oh, and it was the best conversation too. Probably the best piece of podcasting audio you'll ever not hear. So sorry and about that. Now it's, lost. <laughs> it's lost to the ether of bits in my computer since I've already deleted that recording uh it's lost the time no so we we were we were just talking though like the sense of urgency that somebody has in their life and where you can get that from and for you in particular you you got started with your professional career in youth ministry even though you've come pretty far uh from that place today right yeah yeah and I would say kind of my, my doing career. I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of stuff and youth ministry was kind of my first uh, foray into uh, more of an entrepreneurial endeavor that taught me a lot about leading people and building an organization and organizing teams and about um, just the philosophy of doing and, and kind of finding purpose in what you decide to uh, uh, undertake. And you use this phrase like your career in doing, which I like because you know, I, I've been writing recently that I think a lot of people fall into this. And in, in you've—I'm sure you've seen this with with your podcast, the successful dropout, and the people you talk to with that. Uh, people fall into this mindset, this preparation mindset, right? Where it's like, I need to prepare, I need to learn things, I need to go and become an expert. You know, I was just writing a piece this morning called um, "Specialization is for Insects" from the uh, the Robert Heinlein quote. Have you have you heard this quote before? Uh, let me pull it up. I love it. Um, but it's essentially this idea that people get so caught up in trying to become an expert at something, and it takes years to pre- to prepare to become an expert in something, that they never actually go and they start doing something, right? Uh, like, I, I have no skills. <laughs> That's what I tell people. My I have one skill, actually, that is like... I consider a superpower and that's that I can delegate things to people who are more skilled than I am. There you go. <laughs> and it basically is a superpower, man. Uh, it's amazing. You know, it, it keeps me, it allows me to have my fingers in like four different things simultaneously. People are like, what do you do? And I'm like, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I work with a lot of people who are a lot more skilled and smarter than I am in a lot of areas. But you know, this Heinlein quote and this is kind of something I've seen with a few people who have been on the podcast, and I think that you, the the doer, the doer's mindset is something that is embodied in a lot of this quote. But the mindset that people grow up in school with, this kind of preparation mindset outside of their doing career, 
goes up against it. It's that uh, a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly, die gallantly. Ah, I was doing so well. Specialization is for insects. It's from uh, Robert Heinlein from uh, The Moon is, a, Moon is a Harsh Mistress, uh, specifically from time, time Enough for Love. But, you know, what, what would you define your career in doing as, right? Like, you and I know each other through your podcast, but, like, what, have you, what, what, do, you, what, what do you do? Uh, I guess entrepreneurship in, in the... What does that mean? <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> I build things, I build things and I solve problems is pretty much what that means, which I consider to be the essence of entrepreneurship is just, it's solving problems, building things and building things that solve problems and help uh, people and just ultimately make the world a better place. At least that's the the way I think the the best companies survive. Um, But it's interesting, you know, you talk about kind of this preparation mindset, you know, I just read the book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F, I don't want to cuss on this show. <laughs> the show. The show's marked as explicit already, so anybody who <laughs> won't listen to explicit podcasts won't care. It's the subtle art of not giving a fuck, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, and man, he just he has such a great point in there that I love, and I use all the time on the podcast now, which is people people kind of view uh, this, this journey towards taking action as more of kind of a linear journey. You have to sit around and wait for inspiration before you can take action. And what people don't realize is it's circular. I mean, action begets more action. Right. So, I mean, if you can just figure out what the, what that first step is, take that, that's, you know, you're going to be doing things and accomplishing things and that will just inspire you to take whatever the next step is, take the next action. And it's the difference between um, just in time learning and just in case learning and and schools kind of got this just in case learning method. Um, You know, <laughs> they they've got that cornered, and so we don't need to worry about that. But just in in time learning is is what's such an important concept. I I feel and, and very common among you know really successful individuals. And by just in time, you mean like du- just hyphen in hyphen time. Like I I'm learning this just in time to actually need it. Yeah, I mean it's the same concept as if anybody who's listening has put together um, IKEA furniture. You know, you don't stay up the night before reading the manual on how to put together. You'd be insane and putting the, putting together Ikea furniture is my idea of what hell is probably like, but, but it's, you, you, you kind of, you can guess and pretty much understand as soon as you unbox it, what kind of the first steps are. And then when it comes time to like, I don't know what to do next. That's when you refer to the manual, you kind of learn what you need to in order to take the next step. So just in time learning is the concept of you're only learning things in the context of it's required to take the next step forward with whatever you're trying to pursue and any learning aside from that, um, is, is considered, uh, recreational, you know, really, um, you know, for fun, but you don't, the point is you don't spend, you know, you don't spend four years studying playbooks and textbooks and the history and theory of football. If you want to play football, uh, you get out there and you play the game as well. So for you, what has been like the hardest part of going from, I, I don't know what your education background before dropping out of college was, but what has been the hardest part, you know, 
jumping in and seeing like, oh, there's a problem to be solved. Well, here's a product we can build or a service we can provide. Oh, cool. This Strangers will pay money for this. This is a business. How do you get into that kind of motion? Uh, it, <laughs> desperation. <laughs> Got to pay the bills. <laughs> it's funny. The number of people who I have talked to or who I've read who have said, like, in particular, having a child uh, has been, like, the thing that made them their million dollars. Now, I don't encourage someone to go out there and, like, get pregnant so that they can earn a million dollars. But, like, getting that skin in the game, whether it's, you know, I'm overdrawing my bank account and I really don't want to be eating ramen, or it's, like, I've got a kid on the way and, like, I actually need to earn money. The number of people who that kind of, like, negative motion, that negative incentive is huge for it's been really surprising for me it's so true man there's a couple of my friends who are entrepreneurs and i feel like they would almost have a kid just to (laughs) take their business to the next level (laughs) (laughs) no it's like it's easy to get comfortable like i i i get by on like very little money every month and it's like huh i guess i could like stop earning more than this and just so long as i made this minimum amount i'd be happy it's like no no don't don't fall into that (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cliche entrepreneur stuff, but it's like, yeah, you gotta, I gotta pay the bill somehow. I just gotten out of the military. We lived in Florida and I was like, so we're going to move back to Washington state. I know that's where all our friends and family connections, uh, opportunities are. So that's what we're going to do. But I really don't want to work a nine to five. I don't want to work for somebody. I was way too independent for that. And so it's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to start a business and I don't know what yet. And my buddy called me up on the phone and said, Hey, I'm, I want to start a painting company. Um, but I need a thousand dollars for a van. And, uh, so that was kind of the moment I was like, well, I can, I can paint. I've done some construction in the past and you know, how hard could it be? And what a, you know, it's just a very basic business to start out learning the ins and outs of, of, of running a business and hiring people and stuff like that is, is the trades and I've experienced. So I gave them what was probably half of what I had in savings at the time and moved down and we started our first job. And that, that was probably, I mean, I, Previously, you know, I'd been working in my church and growing kind of the youth ministry and stuff, but that was definitely my first experience taking a a business from the ground, you know, up where we're working and then we hire employees and, you know, the, the, the revenue, you know, comes in and we're, uh, you know, paying the bills with it essentially. And, And I was married at that point. And so I had a small family to support. So what made you start the podcast? Like I said, how, how you and I actually know each other is through your podcast, Successful Dropout. Uh, so you are like the second or third, third, second or third podcaster I've had on the podcast. I know Aaron Watson I've had on. Yeah, so we've I've had a couple people who've like started their own podcasts on already, and we've kind of like discussed what goes into that. But your podcast in particular is the Successful Dropout. And you find really interesting people. I've got to say that because you had me on. <laughs> I, 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 I think I am interesting. You are, uh, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about anybody else out there, but I think I am just fascinating. Um, what made you decide, like, oh, I want to interview people who are like me, you know, dropouts who are doing interesting things? Yeah, you know, it was... Um... By like me, I meant like you. I'm not continuing on the the zach is zach is amazing train Uh, no totally and so yeah i guess so we after we launched that uh business it's called united painting and we it was a residential commercial painting company and we grew pretty big uh you know high high six figures 
um, multiple full-time employees. And at our peak, like 30 subs working for us, we specialize in out-of-state, large, like a car- apartment complexes. Um, we use that business to actually build two other businesses, um, a hot yoga studio and a juice bar. Um, so we had these three businesses in our, in our city. Um, and that was all in the period of three years. So three years, three different businesses, three different industries, a lot of action, a lot of, <laughs> lot of ups and downs. A lot of these are like brick and mortar, like storefront businesses. That sounds. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. And hard one service space. Yeah. It's the majority of entrepreneurs. I feel like you, you, you can talk to are are these, you know, they have SaaS businesses or it's online based somehow or technology based, but man, there's nothing like a good brick and mortar business to really teach you the, <laughs> the, the dirty work of entrepreneurship. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if I envy you or not when it comes to that. So, but someone, someone has to do it. Someone yeah, well, to totally. It. And what, what is nice about it is everything is so tangible. And so when you can run a business successfully, that's brick and mortar. I mean, you're, you're handling the product, you're seeing the customers, you're seeing their faces when they use your product, you know, are they happy or sad or mad or, <laughs> and you're getting, you know, that, that immediate feedback and everything's just so tangible. It's such a powerful way to learn how to run a, a business. And so, um, you know, eventually, but you know, eventually you're right. It, it, it got pretty draining, especially with the painting company and, and being kind of really service-based and that's a tough, you know, painting construction industry. It's a tough industry to, to, to operate in sometimes and really make decent money. And I, so I decided I wanted to start something online and something that was a lot going to allow me to be live more of of a mobile lifestyle. And the podcast, a podcast was something that I felt like it, it, it just fit me. Like it would be a, a good thing for me to do. And I was actually um, helping my sister come up with a name for her podcast when I threw out the name Successful Dropout. It just came to me and she didn't like it, but it it just stuck with me. Why didn't she like it? (laughs) Well, her podcast is called Entrepreneur Before 25 and she specifically interviews entrepreneurs who kind of started their journey before the age of 25. And I was like, well, the majority of those people were probably college dropouts then. <laughs> and I was like, well, what about successful dropout? She, and it was just too, I guess, specific of a, of an audience. She wanted to reach a different kind of audience and didn't feel the name fit, but man, I loved it. Just the, the, you know, dropout kind of has these, these negative connotations, but successful doesn't, I just love the combination. And I'd always viewed myself. I, and I am, I'm, I'm more of a, kind of a rebel contrarian. Um, I'm pretty stubborn <laughs> and, um, I've just always, I, I also really like that about myself. And so I, I've always enjoyed being called a dropout, uh, you know, cause it's, it's different and it's, it's a little bit rebellious and it's got kind of this, this bit of a grit to it, but I view myself as successful at the same time. And so, man, as the more I thought about the name, the more this vision kind of flooded into my head. And it was like, I want to interview people like myself who kind of chose to just go a different route, not necessarily just dropping out of college, but just in general, go a different route and kind of get off the, you know, they got off the conveyor belt. They went against the status quo. They questioned the status quo. And I want to have those kinds of people on the, on my podcast. So what's the most surprising thing about these people that you found is a constant? (laughs) Hmm. I think it's, it's definitely a fact that they all have this bias towards action. You know, they're, they're all incredible action takers. The other thing too, is they're all rebels, man. And in, in some form or sense of the word, they just, they just, uh, when they see everybody 
going one direction, it just, they have this pull towards the opposite direction. Even if it doesn't make sense at the time, they just know there's probably going to be more opportunity where the masses aren't heading. That's probably one of the biggest uh, things I've, I've noticed. And that, that somehow, somehow they were able to break, you know, mentally away from this, this system, this, this institutionalization that, you know, formal education kind of instills in you as you grow up through, you know, grade school and high school, especially. And for, and, and so every time, well, not every time, but every other time or so I have somebody on the show and they're talking to me about how, you know, in college, it just wasn't right for them. And they had this, these, these ideas and they just wanted to do something more. I always try to talk to them about their background and their history. And it's like, what, what is it that made you that way? And like we were talking about earlier, Zach, a, a, a trend is that they were, um, they had family members or close friends who were entrepreneurs or doing something similar. Right. Um, and so that just, I, I say it on the show all the time, you are the average of the five people you hang around the most. And so if, if you decide you want to be something to do something, go and find the people that are being it and doing it um, and surround yourself with those people and try to avoid the people that are the opposite of that is one of the, the best first steps I think you can do. Which a good chunk of those people are going to be sitting in classrooms waiting for the rest of their life to begin. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Totally. And and I like, I think it's Isaac Morehouse that said this, you know, he was sitting in class once and looking around and all of a sudden realized like, I'm roughly as good as all these people around me or, you know, going to be about the average of all these people around me. I think something to that extent, he said, and it's like, yeah, that's a very, I had that exact same experience. <laughs> yeah, the bar is low. <laughs> I, I, encourage, I encourage people all the time, like, if you have an idea that you think is interesting and you could make a stranger give you money for, try to do it because the bar is really low out there. I mean, look look around. I, I, the majority of college kids would probably be excited if the class that they are paying money for got canceled, Right. Like, and I think it's Isaac actually who who makes this point repeatedly. Is like that's the only product where people get excited for when the service that they are paying for is not provided to them. Because you're not paying for the service, you're really paying for like I have this piece of paper that tells me I'm better than everybody else, but everybody else is the same piece of paper as well. So yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've spent a little too much time over the last couple of years on like college campuses and high schools in particular, and it's it is it's it's a um, you know going back to that idea that it's the uh, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time around. Imagine spending time around ten thousand people who are all in a certain way on a piece of paper like very superior and excellent, but also like very mediocre. And, like, the reality, too, is the most college students in the United States are going to, like, your fourth-tier state schools. They're not going to places where, like, you could at least make the argument that there had to be some kind of, like, elitism to get in there. And, like, I, I realize this is a ridiculously elitist statement for me to make, but, you know, people love to make this argument about higher – now you've got me on a rant. I'm sorry. People love to make this argument about higher education as if, like, everybody is attending fucking Harvard, but they're not. Most people are attending like Bumble Nowhere State University. And the reality is that when most people are attending that, that getting that credential is telling everybody out there in the marketplace that you are like most people who are attending Bumble Nowhere State University. 
Like maybe your time in this doesn't mean that you're like not a good person or not a hardworking person, what have you, but maybe your time would be better spent doing something other than getting this credential that says like, I am mediocre. Woo. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Man. It's, it's very, it's very difficult for me to understand the mentality that, that somebody has when they think I want, you know, I want on one hand, I want to be really unique and do all these great things in the world. And on the other, so, so I'm going to do what everybody says I should go do. Yeah. I'm going to put myself in this closed, in this closed system that is so far, you know, removed from what the real world is actually like. I mean, the only time after college that you'll be in such a system like that is going to be maybe in a nursing home where you'll be in kind of roughly the, you know, with everybody who's kind of the same age and same mental capacity and stuff as you are. And it's like, that is it's just totally un, unrealistic. And I don't John, ever want to go to a nursing home either. But <laughs> John Taylor Gatto has a really good point in one of his books, um, which I'm going to give a total shout out to, that if you have a Kindle, the 25th anniversary edition of John Taylor Gatto's Dumbing Us Down with a forward by myself. It should be now available on Amazon. If you do not have a Kindle, the print edition comes out in early June. You did the forward on that? That's awesome. I, I did the forward on it, yeah. I'm, I'm, so, I'm literally reading that book for the second time right now. Uh, it's, it, it's a great book. I, I've, I'm so honored to have been able to do the forward for it. Um, Gatto is – I don't have a lot of people who I would say, this person's my hero, but Gatto is one of those people. Uh, fascinating. If, if you don't know who John Taylor Gatto is – uh, go read any of his articles. I really recommend Against School. That's a good article of his. Um, but in general, you know, also another great Pittsburgher. Um, he makes this point in uh, one of his books that, you know, especially he's he's particularly talking about like K through 12 education, but I you, this extends to higher education as well. Uh, we live in a society where young people and old people are totally removed from it, Right. So at any given time, most of people's like peers, not peers as in like people who are in the same age group as them uh, by definition of being a peer, but peers as in people who are just around them are relatively the same age, right? Like plus or minus 10 years, which is really weird when you think about it. Like you don't have people around you who have an idea of what the future should be like because they're young and you don't have people around you who have an idea of what the past was like because they're old. Everybody is stuck now in the present, which I, I think also like plays into this weird mindset, like everybody who's giving you this advice to put your life on hold and don't actually go do stuff until you have all the paperwork that says you should go do stuff. <laughs> they're people who they that's 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 the world that they occupy. That's the space. Everybody that they talk to is like 18 years old, right? They're career counselors or something like that. Um, they're, they're not people who are actually out there like doing investment or uh people who are like talking to old people who are, are dealing with younger, like very young people. I, again, you've got me on a rant. So no, it's great. Get more incoherent as I go on. <laughs> yeah, no, man, I, I, I totally agree. I, it's one of the biggest issues I have with the phrase, Oh, I'm going to college because for, for the networking, the relationships, it's like, oh, but it's, it's nothing like what the real world is. <laughs> Well, no, the, the way I describe, uh, I hate the networking argument. I, I hear that, especially from elite college kids. Oh, well, I, I'm, I've got this great network of people I wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah, if you go and you sit at home and you eat Doritos for four years, yeah, of course you're not going to have that network, right? But the reality is you're probably actually going to go out and do things, especially if you are like – I'm actually um, on not, – te- not technically on, but very near an, uh, an elite university campus right now as I'm speaking to you. And I hear this all the fucking time from the people here. And 
it's like you're a smart driven person obviously you wouldn't have been able to like do a lot of the things you've done if you weren't do you really think that if you weren't here you'd be like working as a day laborer on a farm somewhere probably not you'd probably be off doing a lot of the things that you're doing now anyway but the the idea the networking idea is ridiculous to me because it's like the vast vast majority of everybody you meet the vast vast majority uh, is, even if you are like a pretty active college kid are going to be like your age plus or minus two or three years. Right. And someone who's two years older than you is probably not going to help you get your like next big job or your next big deal. Right. You need to actually have social capital with somebody who's like 20, 30, 40 years ahead of you. Someone who can like vouch for you to become like an experienced business partner or something like that. Not someone who is like in your calc class, who is maybe like 18 months older than you. That that connection is, in the vast majority of cases, going to be totally useless to you. And at the same time, like you have to to get those valuable connections in college, you like really have to bust your ass. It's like if, if you were busting your ass that much in like the real world, you probably would have 10 times as many valuable connections. Okay, rant over. <laughs> All good stuff, man. Yeah, great points. Oh, but so, so the biggest surprise to you has been that these people are, you know, similar backgrounds, things like that. Uh, if you could go, if you could give a talk, you know, if I could, have you ever read Atlas Shrugged? Um, I'm in, in the process. Okay. So, so, so you'll get, I'll get back it's, to you. In it's three. been an incredible journey so far. I can't wait to get, I'll get back to you in three years. It's, it's, yeah. I, I downloaded that book. It's like 63 hours long. <laughs> I'm gonna have to take a vacation here. Yeah, so I, I asked because I was gonna ask you. You know, there's the big John Galt speech that's midway through the book, right? A little bit more than midway through the book, I, and I won't ruin it for anybody who doesn't know. But you know, John Galt's one of the protagonists of the book, and he's broadcast on every television in the country. So, Kylan, if you could be broadcast on every television in the country, or every Snapchat, I guess, in the country, and speak to you know young people right now, what advice would you give them? Oh boy. Can it be three things? Sure. I mean, it can be as many things. I'm not saying one thing. I'm just like the, the category of advice. What, what, what things are in that for you? Absolutely, man. Well, there's, there's three things that I've been kind of, uh, meditating on, I guess I've kind of take them as my mantra. I, I own a yoga studio, so I'm using all these <laughs> words. <laughs> um, so long as you don't leave this conversation saying namaste, <laughs> If, if you do, I, I don't think this this is going to go up publicly. But. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Well, man, I mean, the first thing I, I'd have is to to talk to them about this the be do have paradigm, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's just such a powerful concept that you know most people think kind of the opposite way is this have do be paradigm, where they think if if you have a certain thing, you'll be able to do a certain thing. And you'll be able to be a certain thing. Like if you, if you have more time, you'll be able to relax more, which means you'll be able to be more content or something. Um, but that's just, that's not the way that the universe works. It, it works the other way. You, you have to be something and do everything out of that being before you can have it. And so if you want, if you want to have happiness, the best thing is to be happy, just decide to be happy, do everything out of that state of happiness. And pretty soon you'll start having happiness. And all this comes down to the mechanism of kind of practicing this, which is being the source or giving to other people what you want for yourself. You know, if you want, if you want money, the best thing to do is to, to give people money because this, this act of giving somebody even $10 tells your, 
your your mind, your body, your tells the universe that you have money or else how could you give it? You know, it's this very simple concept, but but if you want to have certain things in your life, you, you got to come at it from from this this uh, trajectory of of be the thing first, do everything out of that being and have, you know, havingness doesn't produce beingness. In other words, beingness produces havingness. Which, which I think, I think that that is a big uh, argument against the preparation mindset, right? That's like, someday I'm going to make this money and then I'll start giving it away to charity or then I'll start, you know, investing in my side business or then I'll start doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like, really, do you, you can start now. You might not be able to do it on the scale you want to do. This was one of the things you and I were talking about actually much, much earlier with, with one of the projects I'm working on. It's like, just start doing it now. And you might not be able to do it on the scale that you want to do someday, but you're going to be aligning your resources in such a way that you should be able to slowly crank it up like every, you know, whatever your marginal unit of time is. Oh man. Yeah. Just, just do it. If you're thinking right now of just search your mind, what, what's the thing you feel called to, to do right now? It doesn't have to be your, your life's purpose or mission. What's the thing you feel called to do even for the next three months and just, just start doing that. And when you, you know, action begets more action. When you start doing that, you'll be inspired for, for what's next. I can't tell you how many times I felt totally unprepared to start something and, and, that's a long story, but you know, it almost caused us to go bankrupt once. <laughs> and you know what though, it, it, it worked out because we, we just kept taking action and, and for the doer, things just seems to always work out. Um, but anyways, the, the second thing I would, I would tell people is the simple phrase, do more and, and live longer. And this really comes, this is a concept and kind of a philosophy out of a pod or an episode that I did with a guy named Bron Shedd, which turned out to be one of our most popular episodes to date. And we were talking about this concept of, you know, everybody knows it's, it's kind of the scientific fact that the older you get, the faster your perception of time is. You know, Zach, your your birthday, those 12 months go by a lot faster than when you were like four years old and it was just forever until you, it was your birthday and you could get presents and have a party and stuff. Um, you know, that that's just a fact. And when you do the same thing day in and day out, let's talk about somebody who's maybe been working the same nine to five job for like 30, 40 years in hopes of retirement. They're going to look back on that block of time and it's going to seem like nothing. I mean, like it just flew by because they did one thing for that, mostly one thing for that whole block of, of time. Now, at the same time, you've got, um, you've got this concept of when you're, when you're, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Um, and so it is kind of a, it's a confusing concept to explain, but basically when you do more during the day, like think of a day when you were just doing a ton, you, you might've done some traveling, you might've seen multiple people, um, done some personal projects and you just did a lot. Now in the moment that day might've seemed to, to fly by, but in hindsight, your perception of that day, it's going to seem a lot longer than if you would have just done one thing that entire day, say writing an essay or something. Whereas if you were writing an essay for that whole day, the day might seem to just drag by, you know, in the moment, but in hindsight, you know, in the future, looking back, it's going to seem like it went really fast. Right. So all this boils down to this concept where if try to fit as many novel experiences into, into your life as possible. And so for me personally, I've done so much. Um, and even just thinking over the last couple of months, you know, I've gone, 
I, we went on a cruise. I've gone skydiving. I've, I've done all these different uh, projects and, and traveled a bit and talked to different people. Like, I feel like I've lived what some people and I've done what some people do in like a year. I feel like I've lived a year in just the last like three months. And so it's this, this interesting psychological concept. Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a combination of just this idea of your perception of time as you get older, uh, as a function of like how much time you've experienced, and this idea of flow, right? Uh, if you can if you can achieve a state of flow, which is like kind of peak performance for a lot of people, uh, you know, you you think it's been five minutes and it turns out it's been like an hour or something like that, right? And I think that that's really valuable for work as well. So I guess my question from that is, if someone's listening to that and they're like, yeah, I agree with that. I want to include as many novel experiences in my life as possible. How do they actually go out and start doing that, right? Like skydiving costs money. Cruises cost money. They're going to they're going to hear the argument then. It's like, okay, you do get to do those things, but you should go earn the money to do it first, right? And in order to earn that money, you need to go and you need to get your – you need to study and then you need to do all these assignments and then you go get your MD and then you do your residency. You do your internship first and then you'll pay down your student debt and then you get to go on a, a cruise when you're like 45, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I can tell you that uh, entrepreneurship or building things, building solutions for people is one of the most exciting vocations you can uh, take up. I mean, of course, there's those periods for even sometimes months on end where you're going to have to sit maybe in a home office and kind of just grind away. But even in those days, there's always opportunity. There's always opportunity to kind of switch it up and just do things different, you know. Go 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 to coffee with a friend you haven't seen for a while. Maybe move your computer outside and work outside for the day. Really anything to kind of switch it up and, and take in and just suck in as much of life and the different experiences you can have um, as possible. And, of, of course, I started out there and now, you know, we're, we're to a certain point where I can, you know, go skydiving or we can take a cruise. Actually, it's been a long time since we'd, <laughs> we'd taken a vacation. Um but yeah, it's just, just this idea of always being conscious of today, I'm going to try to fit maybe a few more novel experiences into my life, like things that I haven't done or experienced before. And because of that, you know, in hindsight, maybe a month from now or a year from now, I'm going to look back and my perception of time is going to be greater and longer and more meaningful than if I kind of just stay in the exact same routine doing the same thing, which some people do that and they're, they're okay with it. Um, and I'm just not. And I guess a good thing to lead into would be my next point, which is, which is fear and resistance. And, you know, one, one of the ways to have more novel experiences is to do things that you, you fear, maybe, tr maybe pick one thing a day that you, uh, fear and, and do that thing. But, uh, but man, this book, um, the war of art by Stephen uh, Pressfield. Book, yeah. Oh, it's so good. And in the first several chapters, all he talks about is resistance and fear. And he talks about this concept of using resistance as a barometer, where at any given point, if you are experiencing resistance, um, you can know that you're probably doing the thing that you should be doing. Um, using fear as, as a compass, you know, where at any point, if you're wondering what you should do, you know, it's like, it's like a compass always points to true north. You know, this compass always, you know, fear will always point you to probably where you're supposed to go. And so, <laughs> you know, it's this idea of, of pursuing the things, actively trying to chase resistance and fight against resistance and pursue the things you fear. Because when you're doing that, more than likely you are 
becoming the best version of yourself, essentially. So again, I don't want to seem pedantic in asking this, but like, how do people actually do that though? Right? Like if you're afraid of it, you're afraid of it for a reason. And you can tell someone like, go face your fears. But like, what are the actual steps that someone can take if they know, like, I'm afraid of doing X, Y, and Z things? Well, you know, what's important, I think, is that it just starts out, it's got to start in the mind and it's got to start with a kind of a trust and an understanding in this idea that there's nothing on the other side of fear. Like 99.9% of the time, there's nothing on the other side of fear. And you can talk to anybody who's, you know, who's done something that they were really afraid of and, and they'll tell you that that same thing. So, I mean, I can pull a practical, you know, for, or a, a story from, from my life to maybe illustrate more practically. Um, but I mean, it would be skydiving. I've, I've always kind of had a bit of a fear of heights. Um, n- nothing crazy, but. But wouldn't say, wouldn't someone say that the thing on the other side of the fear of skydiving is hitting the ground at what 9.86 meters per second squared. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was kind of stupid and I did a bunch of, you know, research leading up to the the trip and found out, you know, what exactly my chances were of falling to my, my death and, and stuff like that. And really the chances are very, very slim. I mean, you've got a more of a chance of dying on your way to work in a car crash or dying from cattle was what it said <laughs> then, then, you know, from, uh, from skydiving, but it's, but I, I, so I can tell you as somebody that, that pursued that fear, I did it. I only did it in the first place because I knew I was afraid of it. And because I was afraid of it, I had to do it. And after doing it now, I'm actually in the process of pursuing what's called your, your a license, which is 25 jumps. I'm, I want to do this as a sport because I loved it and enjoyed it so much. Side note, it's nothing like jumping off of a bridge or bungee jumping. You don't have that ground rush. It's completely different. That's what I equated it to, which had me so afraid of it. It's nothing like that. Um, well, I, I've heard that because you're because you're falling from such, such a great height, you feel the air pressing against you. So you, you don't even experience like a falling uh, sensation, right? No, it's like a floating, very, very blissful sensation. The scariest part is is when you're you're climbing out onto the wing and then at the moment you're hanging off the wing is actually when it becomes fun. And when you let go, it's just like total bliss. And, and a lot, there was a lot of other people there that had obviously, you know, who'd done it, you know, once for the first time. And they, they all kind of said that same thing. The biggest part is actually, which I think is a really good illustration for all sorts of different kinds of fear. Um, you know, there's always this kind of hump to get over this, this pinnacle of where the fear has reached its, its greatest, uh, uh, height, you know, where it's, it's, it's the scariest. And as soon as you're over that, it's usually turns out to be one of the best experiences of your life or the most valuable experience. You look back at that experience and you, there's a sense of pride that comes with it. There's a sense of like, man, I, I just, <laughs> I remember the day after I had some, some tough stuff to do, you know, with my business. And it was like, well, yesterday I was hanging off the wing of a plane at 3,500 feet and I let go. So how hard can this be? You know, how scary right. is, is this really? So when it, when it comes to like practical steps, Zach, I would say like, I can't, I, I can't, I've never actually heard anybody be able to tell somebody like step-by-step, step, this is what you do to overcome fear. It's just understanding it's trusting and having this faith, you know, faith is believing in something that you cannot see yet or feel yet. It's trusting and having faith that there's nothing on the other side of it and that you'll be better off because of it. And when you start to do that enough times, it gets easier and easier, I think. 
I guess then let me rephrase the question. Do you, do you think it is more fruitful for somebody to find like that big thing, like jumping out of an airplane, right? Or do you think it's, it's better for someone to start with these tiny little fears that they have every day? So like one of the ideas that, um, you know, this might actually be a huge fear for some people. I don't know. It sounds tiny compared to jumping out of an airplane um, that Tim Ferriss talks about in the four hour work week is going up to people in a coffee shop and asking them for their phone number. Even if you like are married and just doing this, like to overcome that fear of like talking to strangers and that fear of rejection. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point. I would just, I would ask that person, how, how fast do you want to progress? Because I, one of my core beliefs is that life gives you back what you put into it. I've, I've seen it over and over again and in many different aspects and what I put into life in any sense of the word is typically, you know, I, I get back kind of an equal, uh, you know, result of that. And so it's like, if, if you want to, you could choose to just, you know, do something small, like going up and asking people for their number or jumping out of a plane, you know, you've got these two choices, but I can tell you that, uh, you know, one is going to be more scary than the other, right? You can choose to do the less scary thing and kind of progress gradually up to the point where maybe you're ready to do something as scary as jumping out of a plane, or you could just go jump out of a plane. Granted, that's going to be way, way scarier. You might throw up, you might, <laughs> you know, leading up to it. Um, if you're really inexperienced doing scary things. Um, but at the other side of that, I think you will be f- much further ahead in, just taking that one step, overcoming fear, then even taking several steps, uh, smaller steps, right? It's, it's kind of, I do a lot of snowboarding and actually I have the opposite philosophy when snowboarding, cause I don't want to break a bone. Uh, <laughs> basically when it comes time to do new tricks and stuff, I am a very gradual, uh, uh not learner, but uh, practitioner, I guess, I guess you could say if, if I want to learn how to do say a 360, I start by just tiny little steps, tiny jumps going really slow. Um, and I work up to the point where now I'm doing big jumps and I'm able to do a 360. Uh, whereas some people, uh, have some friends who would just go off the jump and just try a 360 and they might fail five times, but on the sixth time they'll get it in one day. And then they're, they're completely confident and now they can do a 360. Whereas for me, it might take me three weeks to get up to that point. Um, so I kind of have the opposite philosophy when it comes to that, that sport, I guess you could say, but that's kind of an illustration of your, your two options and life gives you back what you put into it. So if you're willing to overcome something that's much more scary, you're, you're going to be a little bit further ahead than somebody who is just taking it in, in smaller strides, I would say. So any parting words for someone who's listening and is inspired by this story? Oh, you know, I would just say like life's always happening for you, not to you. Again, I'm kind of on this uh, man's search for meaning <laughs> mindset as I'm reading this, this book through, which I think that part got cut out, but I'm reading, you know, man's search for meaning by Victor Frankl, which is just an incredible story, but it's just, it's just like man's greatest freedom and, and the last freedom, you know, when, when everything else is stripped away from you, the only freedom that you will have left. And this guy was in Nazi concentration camps and stuff, literally had everything, even his name stripped from him. But the last freedom that, that he had left was the ability to choose his attitude in any given set of, of circumstances and, and to, to try to find meaning in that. 
and and he found it. He found meaning in in suffering. And so it just goes to illustrate that if you have this mindset, like life is always happening for you, you know, there's always, there's always a way to, to create opportunity. There's always a way to, to, to choose to be positive and to choose, you know, your attitude in any given set of circumstances It's such a powerful. And I think one of the, the most foundational concepts you can, you can internalize and practice because out of that stems, you know, everything else that you decide to do uh, in your life. If you kind of do everything, you know, we're on doers. If you do everything from that mentality, um, yeah, I think you've got it made. Yeah. No, I, I, one of the biggest, you know, uh, dichotomies I really like in life is do you let life, do you react to life or do you act on life, right? Are you living reactively or are you living proactively? And getting your, self in the position where you're acting proactively more often than you're acting reactively, I think is, is huge just for, just for personal happiness. Oh man. And I'm sure Zach, you're familiar with everything that's just going on in, in our country right now. There's just, there's such a, I feel like so many people have such a victim and, you know, mentality and, and, and people are splitting up into these, or people are deciding to split other people up into these groups of these are the oppressors and these are the oppressed in many different, you know, aspects. Um, and it's like, I, I don't see how that is, how that is ever helpful. Um, right. you know, of course there are, there are definitely some things to consider some systemic things to consider. And there are definitely things that, that need to be changed and solutions thought up and acted upon. But at the end of the day, I think the most, the, the core, most core foundational principle that we can teach everybody is that it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Um, you have the power to control your attitude and your, your decisions from that uh, circumstances. Oh, 100%. I, regardless of one's political beliefs, which if someone's been listening to the show uh, for a while, they, they can probably infer what mine are. Uh, but I mean, regardless of one's political beliefs, I think that it's just it's such a weak position to put yourself in where you just you define yourself as reactive. You define yourself as being the thing being pushed against. And it's like, no, no, like you don't have to think of yourself that way. And I think it's just a really disempowering mindset to just think of like, ah, yeah, sorry, we'll get on another 20 minute rant if we go down that rabbit hole too quickly. But no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, you know, I, I was just in Buenos Aires for uh, 11 days and just being so far away, just physically far away from the 24 hour news cycle, which I think is I think that I think if there is the most dangerous drug in the United States today is the 24 hour news cycle. Because it makes you define your life in terms of reactions. It makes you it makes you have to react to everything, right? Because it's it's just constantly like how many times has somebody sat down and watched like the news and like every hour there's breaking news? And it's like I I thought like the point of breaking news is that it's like supposed to be important and like breaking if there's it, it, what's the difference between breaking news and news, right? It's that they want to get a reaction out of you. And then you, when you start thinking of yourself in this way, whether it's you're getting a reaction out of Fox News or CNN or whatever, you know, it, it's just a really weak way of positioning yourself, a really weak way of living your life. And I mean that – I don't mean that um, just in like the sense that it's like not strong. I mean it, it's, it's weak in like a morally weak way. I'm going to make that judgment. It's just a pathetic way to live your life. 
Yeah, totally. And what's funny is you'll notice the majority of these news stories always have to do with somebody doing something to somebody else, whether it's a murder or some sort of uh, injustice, something like that. And and just being constantly exposed to that, I I feel does not help with this 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 more of this freedom uh, mentality, I guess you could say. Um, no, nobody's disputing that there are some people that are better off than, than others. I mean, some people are born short, some are born tall, some are born smart, some are born less smart, some are born rich, some are born poor. It's just the way, it's the way the world works. But one thing that we all have in common, especially, especially in America is this equality of opportunity and this, this, this ability to always be able to choose our attitude and our decisions in any given circumstance. And there are some attitudes, decisions, and values that are better than other attitudes, decisions, and values. And if you can choose those ones, then, you know, nothing's going to stop you from reaching your, your goals and, and your aspirations eventually. Kylan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Zach. Hey, Zach here. Thank you so much for listening to Doers today. I absolutely love the opportunity to sit down with people who are doing what they love and find out how they did that and what they learned and how they learned in order to get to where they are today. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. I'm looking forward to doing plenty of them in the future. If you can, if you're listening to this on the podcast app or on iTunes, if you can go give it a rating, I'd really appreciate that. The more ratings we get, the more listeners we'll get, and the more interesting interviews we'll be able to get. You can reach out to me at Zach at Slayback.xyz. If you have any recommendations for who you'd like to see interviewed on the show, shoot me an email, Zach, Z-A-K, at Slayback.xyz. And any questions you might have, I'm free and happy to answer them there. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter as well. So please go give the show a rating, share it with your friends, shoot it around, and be sure to check in for next week. Thanks so much.